Welcome back, Universal fans. For those of you who have kept Jim Hill Media's Universal podcast feed loaded and subscribed, I sincerely thank you. It's obviously been several years since we've had a podcast dedicated to the Universal theme parks, but as anyone who listens regularly to the Disney Dish podcast knows, the doings at NBC Universal and Comcast have been discussed. By the way, if you're new to this channel, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and I have been covering themed entertainment for over 40 years now. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I've been podcasting with Len Testa, who you might know from Touring Plans, for more than a decade now. He and I will actually be recording our 500th show together sometime later this year. And while the name of that podcast is Disney Dish, we do talk about the Universal Parks on that show quite a bit. Which brings us to the question of the day. Why now? Why, after all this time, is Jim Hill Media bringing back a dedicated Universal podcast? Well, I plan on telling you that. But first, the news portion of this week's Epic Universal podcast is brought to you by TouringPlans.com. Touring plans can help you save time and money at theme parks like the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. So if you're looking for help when it comes to planning your next excursion to Orlando, which perhaps could include a trip to uh, Universal, uh, please check them out at TouringPlans.com. So, getting back to the Universal podcast, we're getting underway here. Let's just say that this podcast is going to be a bit unique. Something different from the other podcasts you can hear on the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. I mean, if you take a look at the other shows, Disney Dish is myself swapping stories with the brilliant Lentesta. No denying he's a certified Disney theme park expert. I mean, his name is literally at the bottom of, you know, the best-selling Walt Disney World planning book. And when I chat with Drew Taylor over on Fine Tuning, I'm talking with a guy who's regularly interviews the biggest and the best when it comes to animation, animators, directors, actors. Drew knows his stuff. Uh, whereas Brian Gaughan and I, when we sit down to talk about Star Wars and Lucasfilm, look, Brian's been on actual Hollywood sets. He lives and works in LA, you know, has worked with people who've developed films. So he, he knows a little bit about movies, especially those George Lucas movies that we all love. And of course, we can't overlook the late, great Aaron Adams, who was a, a virtual encyclopedia when it came to Marvel. You know, he read the comics, owned the movies, and, you know, and, and trust me, if you'd ever been to his home, the, the Marvel memorabilia that was up on his wall was stunning. I, and, and, and I should also mention that, that Len and I are now working with veteran Imagineer Jim Shul on our Disney Unpack project. So, again, it was a guy who's, who's been in the room with... with Michael Eisner and Bob Iger, you know, when, you know, some of your favorite Disney theme park you know, attractions were pitched. So uh, those are the people I work with. So now that you've heard about the, the other part of the, the Jim Hill Media Network, let's talk about what we're about to do with Universal. And this podcast, as I, I, I said at the start, is going to have a different approach. So what if I told you that my co-host in the show, unlike Everybody else that I just mentioned is not an expert. In fact, he's never, ever been to Universal Theme Park. Okay, 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 okay. don't turn off the show. Don't, don't unsubscribe me. Hear me out. Eric Hersey, the gentleman I will be introducing to you shortly, is quite an interesting story. And in fact, there's probably a few of you or people you know who are very much like him. As I mentioned, Eric has never been to Universal Theme Park. But can you guess how often this wheeling West Virginia native has taken family vacations to Walt Disney World since 2014? Huh? No? Too low. Keep going. Over 30 times. And that might not seem like a ton if you're a Florida native, you know, somebody who lives in Kissimmee. But think about this. He has packed his family of five up in a van driven 16 hours to visit a resort that is literally miles away from Universal, not once ever deciding to skip a day at Walt Disney World to check out what Universal is all about. 
Okay, if we're doing the math here, folks, that's an average of three trips a year, 15 park days, and not once has he sampled Universal. So what makes this guy qualified to co-host a podcast about the Universal Parks? Well, it's quite simple. Eric has been helping with Jim Hill Media for over a year now. He He's jumped in and helped with our Disney Unpacked project. They even helped produce a, a few of our other podcasts. And a few months ago, during a routine you know, Zoom call on one of our projects, Eric asked me about Universal. He couldn't help but notice that about you know, the many things that are happening at the Universal Orlando Resort. And he was curious, curious enough to think about foregoing one of his Disney trips to make a dedicated trip to Universal. And I couldn't help but think, now, here's a guy that was tribal to the bone. I mean, if this guy has his office decorated to look like the Magic Kingdom's utilidors you know, with purple and blue walls, I mean, I, it, if Eric is thinking about Universal, I bet there are tons of other Disney fans out there who are going to be asking similar questions, and and they will need a place to go to get their news and information. And who will ask the best questions to help out these newfound Universal fans? Maybe a brand new Universal fan himself? So, with that being said, let's introduce Eric Hersey to this show. Eric? Well, thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's it's nice to be on a Zoom call where we actually have the red recording button actually going. We're actually talking to other people besides you and I bantering back and forth about random projects and so forth. But thanks so much for letting me have access to somebody that knows a ton about Universal. This is a great opportunity for me to talk to someone that's been covering it for so long. So, I mean, there's no better master if I'm going to be a paddler. Hey, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, look, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, in fact, that that's one of the reasons I sparked to this idea. I, I backed into my knowledge of Universal because I started, I was a Disney fan. And, and in fact, to be honest, I don't think I really got serious about studying up on Universal till 88, 89, when they announced that they were building their resort in Florida. I mean, I had been to Universal Studios Hollywood. Uh, I had done the tram tour. But here they were coming to Disney's turf. And it was like, okay, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of Butch Cassidy and, you know, uh, the Sundance Kid. Who are those guys? What, you know, they, you know what's the deal with them? Uh, and so I have been studying the company for, what is that? That's 34 years. Um, that was then, and this is now. You know, it, it's, this is a, a, a company that is firing on all cylinders. In fact, when we get to the news portion of today's show, we're going to talk about how much this show is, is firing on cylinders. But anyway, let's talk a, a, a little bit more about you and, and let people know, uh, you know, more about you and, and and for that let's establish your street cred here if we can well i was gonna say the the fact is it sounds probably odd and i know if i was listening on the other end and saying all right here's a guy that has never been to universal what he's what's he going to show us well let let me just tell you this guys i am have listened to every single one of jim hill podcasts uh <laughs> notice that my fandom kind of started for theme park and generals and in this case disney theme parks in about 2014 do the math i think you guys are around 10 years old, going on to 500 episodes. Uh, you were one of the initial podcasts that I found and kind of was like, oh my goodness, history. I love this stuff. And I dove right into the Walt Disney World. But I think it's interesting right now. And I think you you and Len might have mentioned this on other shows, is Universal now actually has some nostalgia, right? It's old enough now that people like me who love the, hey, what was here before that? And this extinct attraction and so forth. It's now to the point where I remember seeing on Nickelodeon, per se, at the end, the bumper saying this was filmed at Universal Studios, Florida. And now I'm interested. I'm certainly interested. And I like those old stories. And that's kind of what hooked me into Disney. And I think now Universal can really leverage some of that and probably grab some of the attention of people like myself who want to read these old books or or so forth to find out, hey, man, what was it like when it first opened? And what happened in 1992? You know, <laughs> So part of me is is you know 
I know enough about theme parks through, you know, the last 10 years because I really dove in. I read books. I've obviously read a lot of articles, listened to entirely too many podcasts, and I'm a, a huge consumer of YouTube videos and love all the content creators out there. Uh, I'm super excited to kind of get that rejuvenated feeling of, oh, I didn't know that. But Universal, the world is open, and that excites me tremendously. No, it's a, I, like I said, I feel like this is an interesting way to do a, a podcast about Universal. And, and especially at this time in the company's history, you know, that, that in fact, you know, I, I think Len and I have talked about this on Disney Dish that, you know, you look at the last 10 years, for example, at the Disney parks and look, you know, Disney isn't necessarily subtle about this. If you look at uh, Pandora, the, the world of Avatar, or for that matter, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, you know, that those two additions to the parks were Disney's response to what was going on at the Universal Parks in, you know, with the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And, you know, and, and it's funny, again, you just mentioned about, you know, uh, the history of the parks just in the uh, August of this year, we had Villain Con, uh, Minions Blast, and, uh, you know, but that building, if you, the very thing you were talking about, that started off as, you know, the Alfred Hitchcock, you know, tribute attraction when Universal Studios Florida opened in June of 1990. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love to tell the story about how Universal and Disney, you know, it, this is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, folks. You don't get, you know, that unique taste of entertainment that you get in Orlando without these two giant mega corporations going head to head uh, and being fiercely competitive with one another. And, uh, and, and boy, are we going to see that uh, get exciting in 2025 with the, the epic universe park, which by the way, we haven't told people yet what we're calling this podcast. So uh, Eric, care to do the honors? Uh, if you, for those that might find out through time, uh, my day job, I ess essentially I deal with a thing called SEO, which is search engine optimization. It's, you know, essentially trying to manipulate Google and the other search engines to have your stuff rank. So when naming conventions come around, it's a matter of like, all right, what will actually people be typing in? So I was just kind of looking for it, saying, hey, what do people type in? And listen, there's not going to be any more, you know, this is going to be the highest search trend for Universal coming up. And that's Epic Universe, right? So it only made sense that with launching a new podcast, we are going to change the name or essentially rebrand as an Epic Universal podcast, because that's essentially what we're going to try to do. And we're going to be talking a lot about what's coming up, all things Universal and Let's hope that we can hold up to the uh, the name and make this an epic podcast. And by the way, I want to point out here that even the folks at Universal understand the importance of SEO. Uh, did you notice what they called the park that they're building in Frisco, Texas? Universal Kids. Ah, you know, and, and right. think about it. You know, you're a parent, and mm -hmm. you're looking, you know, for some place to take your children, your young children. Uh, on a family vacation. So you type in, you know, theme park kids and bang, what comes up? Universal kids. That's actually quite genius in many aspects. Plus, you know, I've listened to Jim Shul on many of the Disney Unpacks and he's always referencing, you know, the aspect of make it simple. A lot of times when he's talking about like the Hong Kong and, and, and the foreign parks, like the name of the, the name of the actual attraction has to be clear right off the get go. Oh, God. And how can you be any more clear than, hey, this is a theme park made for kids than a title like that. So that's that's fairly genius. Well, I, but again, I just wanted to reinforce that I, I think you picked a great name. And so we'll, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. So now, again, following, you know, the way we typically, uh, you know, work here at Jim Hill Media, you know, the, we, we've done the intro to the show. So we now, we launch into the news segment of the Epic Universal podcast. But even here, we're doing things a little differently. And, and again, Eric, do you, do you want to explain how we're going to handle the news a little different this time around? Jim, if you think about it as a relative newbie, how the heck? <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm not going to be able to provide as much information uh, when it comes to looking at news and saying, hey, this is what I think, you know, off of previous knowledge and so forth. I'm 
literally going to be learning uh, as we go. So instead of just saying, hey, let's talk about this new segment, I think it'd be appropriate to grab some headlines and let me present them to you. And we'll find out if it's news or not, because I know from, you know, reading blogs over the years for Disney. Some things are PR pieces that really have no substance. And some things are monumental that are kind of go underneath, uh, you know, the rug, so to speak, and people don't see. So I think when we look at stuff like this, I can present to you and you can present. uh, We'll look at some news and we'll just find out if it is news or not. There we go, folks. News or not. So uh, what's what's our first story that that you've dug out and want to know if it's news or not? All right, Jim. So in preparation, I, I... (laughs) typically just typed in universal news and so forth to find out what is going on. Uh, Truth be told, I tried to keep myself as as sheltered until we recorded. I think it's important that I don't go and do a whole bunch of homework or the premise of this doesn't necessarily work. So when I found the first thing that really crossed my, uh, you know, I was this variety.com article that was just a couple days old. And it talks about universal overtaking Disney as the highest grossing studio of 2023 in the box office. Yeah. Is that news or is that not news, Jim? Well, okay. Uh, um, look, uh, you know, th- th- not to 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 talk down uh, what Universal pulled off in 2023. Yes, uh, they wound up when we look at the worldwide box office. They did 4.9 billion dollars worth of business with the 24 films they released to theaters uh, last year, and and they had. Some hits of size. I mean, they they had the Super Mario Brothers movie, which all by itself did $1.3 billion worth of business around the world. They also had Oppenheimer, which, by the way, is marching into award season and looking like it's going to do really, really well come the Academy Awards. Uh, That did $952 million worldwide. And at the same time, there were singles and doubles that did especially well, like Megan, the horror film. In fact, what's so interesting about Megan is Megan basically came out a year ago this week. Uh, and, you know, I mean, did decent business, did uh, 95 million stateside, uh, another 84 overseas for a worldwide box office of 180 uh, million. But, but again, this was a relatively inexpensive horror film, which now has launched a franchise for Universal. And more to the point, I don't know if you you saw any of the footage coming out of this year's Halloween uh, Horror Nights at Universal Orlando, but they actually had a troop of young ladies who were the Megan dancers who would come out. Oh, no, it it was, (laughs) it was, but it was. Um, but yeah, that, that, you know, that, that's, that's how a universal works that they had by, you know, they had this hit in January and by, you know, l- you know, early September uh, as part of Halloween Horror Nights here with these characters in the park, you know, entertaining guests who immediately insisted that, oh, I got to get my picture taken to all these scary Megan girls. Um, but again, this is 24 films that made 4.9 million. Now, if we pivot over to Disney, um, they made 4.8 billion worldwide with 17 films. And in fact, that's the interesting thing. It, you know, if you talk with the folks at Disney, uh, they're like, yeah, we, we damn near did the exact same business. And we did it uh, with fewer titles. And and but at, at the same time, there were so many films this year that Disney put out that somehow managed to miss the mark, uh, whether it was the Marvels or uh, in particular, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And uh, what especially hurt was Disney Wish, you know, that the, the, the you know, the, it, a film that Disney had been hyping for the better part of the year of, you know, this is sort of. You know, our, our celebration of 100 years of, of Disney Studios and, you know, and the audience was like, yeah, I can wait for, for this to show up on Disney Plus. Uh, and if we're being honest, Eric, that that was kind of the mantra with a lot of the films that Disney released to theaters this year, you know, to the effect of an audience had learned. It's like, look, I don't need to go to the theaters. You know, I, I can wait. This will show up on their subscription streaming service. And that's kind of the barrel Disney is staring down right now. You know, they, they had sort of 
built their future on the success of Disney Plus, not anticipating what it would do to theatrical or, for that matter, what it would do for home entertainment. So, uh, you know, it just, for me, it's fascinating to watch Hollywood history being made in real time. So I, I guess, long story short, yes, in fact, this was news. Good of you to, to, to grab well, that we story. Well, let's uh, talk about the next story here. And I found this from actually Universal's website themselves. They're just announced the Mardi Gras International Flavors uh, Carnival is, is coming. It looks to be from February 3rd to April 7th. Now, uh, through... Through the years, I've heard of this Mardi Gras celebration there. It's one of the few things that's kind of transferred over. And I'm like, oh, they have some type of Mardi Gras celebration. So is this like a food and wine or does this matter? Is this a normal? Uh, I mean, is it a big draw? Again, I, I think you nailed it with your your food and wine or flower and garden. I mean, there there were things that Universal does that, you know, there are <sighs> – in fact, this is a piece of language that Mr. Schul taught me. There is this thing called intent to visit. And the notion is if, you know, someone like yourself who lives in Wheeling, West Virginia, what's going to get you and Lauren to put the kids in the car and drive 16 hours down to Orlando? And it's probably not uh, a, you know, a, a, an event, you know, that, that, you know, features, you know, groups performing and food and, and Mardi Gras parade floats rolling through the streets. On the other hand, if you're, you know, a Central Florida local, mm-hmm. you know, this is the sort of thing that might move the needle for you to go visit during what is traditionally considered the off-season. So this is the the annual event that Universal has developed over the years, uh, you know, to, to, to get the locals to come out, you know, during that time of year when atten- attendance is perhaps s- softer than Universal would like. Now, you know, I, that said, you know, I have always enjoyed when I'm down there, uh, you know, watching the, the Mardi Gras parade roll through the street. That said, I, I don't like getting hit in the face by <laughs> uh, by beads being thrown by, you know, people who don't know how to throw beads. But um, but on the other hand, it, it's enjoyable. And, you know, the, the but again, it, it very much like food and wine, you know, there is a, oh, these are, you know, the new dish that's being introduced and this is the new beverage. And, you know, so. All right. Well, here's another thing that kind of uh, breaks my heart a little bit as a collector of paper park maps. Uh, Universal Orlando no longer offering paper park maps at theme parks. Yeah, that 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 came with the new year, though. uh, It's worth noting that in the months just prior to that, uh, Universal had also introduced another, you know, bit of technology. They they had started going with facial recognition at the the entrance of the parks, and you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, to to be completely blunt here, this is Universal getting policies in place at its two legacy parks in Florida. That will be opening day procedures, uh, you know, come when Epic Universe uh, throws open its stores in 2025. You know, the notion of, you know, that park is never going to have a paper map or for that matter, you're not going to need, you know, a a physical ticket getting in and out. You know, the, the setup there when you arrive at the park is okay, let's see your face. Let's see your admission medium. And this is how right. you get in and out of that park. And, you know, do you, do you know where you're going? Do you know, you know, well, if not, pull out your phone and call up the app and, you know, you'll figure out how to get around this park. Um, now, to be fair here, Disney has been doing uh, the same thing for, for quite some time. And in fact, uh you know, I, I remember when you actually used to be able to walk into a quick service restaurant like Cosmic Rays and 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 make a food order. And, you know, these days it's like, well, did you do it on your phone? And like, no. And it's like, ugh. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you backwards boob. Right. You know, go, you know um, well, yeah. I was I mean, recently even at a uh, local fast food chain and there's a line for mobile order in the drive through. And I'm like, oh, OK, so now you're ordering. So it's just going that route. Everyone has a phone. 
as someone who develops websites, I get it. But there is something about the tangible map. You know, I collect them essentially and I kind of use those as, so it'll be interesting. The fact is I will never be able to have a universal map unless I go onto eBay, I guess. Well, and, and it's so interesting you say that because, you know, I remember when Disney, I mean, again, you know, I, I work off of paper every day and, you know, I constantly check the old Disney annual reports to get information. And in the, the 2000s, the Disney company decided we're not going to print physical uh, annual reports anymore. And, you know, the, and, and when you think about how, you know, <laughs> it's always interesting when things that were on the web suddenly aren't on the web anymore. Right. Sure. You, you know, and you know, so you have to know what to grab when. And yeah, I mean, for somebody like myself, you know, it's just sort of like, oh, the physical stuff is going away. And yeah, I I, I, I feel your pain, Eric. I, I genuinely feel your pain. So. It's all right. I dug this one up from a couple months ago. So it's Universal Theme Parks break a massive record in 2023. They they set records this year. And, and in general, is that news or is that kind of fluff? W- what happened here? Okay. Um, realistically, uh, out in Hollywood uh, in February of this past year, we had... Super Mario World Open uh, on the lower lot at Universal Studios Hollywood. And, uh, you know, that did land office business. You know, just, you know, people would come into the park and rush down the, the, the Starcade. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I will tell you from, from Mr. Sesta and Mr. Shul and I standing in line for two hours, uh, to get on uh, the Mario Kart ride, and uh, and what was interesting is it broke down while we were in that line, and we were determined to tough it out. I mean, it came back up like a half hour later, but um, but that definitely moved the needle out there. They they you know they yeah they they had a seventeen percent year over year improvement you know when it comes to the amount of money the, the revenue that the parks generated now. You got to also take into a, a account the amount of money that, that Universal spent right. at the parks, and more to the point, the money that is being poured into the absolute giant uh, Epic Universe complex. Uh, you know, the, the, in fact, this past trip when when Eric and I were, were both down in Florida for the Ginger Snap Challenge thing that touring plans did i i actually uh well uh, one evening mr shul and i drove over to eyeball uh the uh the epic universe construction project and the next morning on my way to the airport i did the same thing in daylight and uh you know mind you you could see the tangle of you know uh theme park you know excuse me a roller coaster track on the horizon uh, but it's way off of the boulevard there. You know, and you can see the, the two brand new hotels that sort of anchor the property. But, uh, you know, it, it, again, there's they're putting they're pouring money into the future of, you know, uh, this division of the company. The uh, in fact, didn't they just in the past year do the same thing Disney did? They changed the names to what is it? Universal Parks and Experiences, or, or something to that effect, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, some some change in the names. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. That's the one thing that kind of got me roped in a little bit. Is you go on YouTube and there's always construction update, construction update, and the unsung hero. And I don't know. It's a man of mystery to me. Is that Bio Reconstruct? He, oh, <laughs> the best yeah. pictures. And you know, I just recently watched in preparation. I said, "What's going on now?" And they just have the new beacons, so to speak, for each land and. That is pretty darn exciting. So it is, it is, and and and, and again, thank you so much for for you know mentioning our eye in the sky there, Mr. Bio Reconstruct. But it also worth noting here, it's somebody else who's doing equally heavy lifting, Alicia Stella. You know, with with her, you know, uh, what is it, theme park stop. Uh, you know, done some amazing coverage of Universal over the past couple of years. So, you know, uh, you know, kudos to the two of them, sort of keeping us all up to speed about what's going on on site there. But, uh, but yeah, that um, <laughs> it it it's a, a fascinating, huge project. But also, it's only <laughs> one of four, right? 
The next, the last, the final, last story that we got here to see news or not. It's basically a new Universal theme park could be coming to the UK. <laughs> so that's a, that's a pretty big story in itself. But is it? Is there any substance there? What do we know oh, about anything? Okay, is- and, and again, I I am not allowed to say how I found out. But when we were all down in uh, in Florida. Uh, in late November, early December for Ginger Snap Challenge, I did find out about the UK, the park for the UK. It is legit. I mean, as we know now, uh, but it, at the same time, half of my job is sometimes somebody will share a story with me and say, you can't tell anybody about this yet. But, you know, it, but it's just sort of like, oh, that's coming. And And again, to circle back to your earlier story uh you know about how the universal parks now have this this rich uh you know series of of hit films whether it's shrek or trolls or disciple me or that sort of thing to build you know theme parks around that's what's evidently fascinating about what universal is about to build in the uk that this is this is the first park that Mark Woodbury, uh, the former head of uh, Universal Creative, now the head of Universal Parks and Experiences, this is the first park entirely put together on his watch. And Mark is a sincere believer in, in the idea that Universal is finally in a place where we don't need other people's stuff. We have a lot of great stuff. And we could build parks, you know, entirely out of our own IP. And... That's where we are right now. That that you know, this is what's fascinating about what's being built in the UK. On, on the other hand, also worth noting, uh, we have the uh, Universal Kids Park again in Frisco, Texas, which, as we mentioned, also leaning heavily into the Universal catalog, not making use of outside properties to license. And let's also not forget about what's being built in Las Vegas, the Universal Horror Unleashed. Uh, don't know if you, you've seen any of the, the pictures of the construction on site there yet, Eric, but oh my God, the building is up. That's uh, insane. Yeah. You know what's kind of interesting that I think the, the playbook they're doing that actually has me intrigued as well. So we're actually planning the our 2024 travel, my wife and I, and she wants to go to other places besides Central Florida. I don't know what's wrong with her, but nonetheless, the thing is, if I'm a Universal fan, and for instance, we want to go down to Texas to experience Texas for once, or we want to go to Las Vegas, or we want to go to these other places in the United States, boy, do I have an opportunity to say, well, Let's travel and let's see some of the sites around these, but also we get to get my fix of theme park entertainment. So, you know, we're right now, if you want theme park entertainment, you know, with Disney, you got one coast, you got down in Florida. But for the most part, I love what Universal is doing because they're finding some tourist hotbeds and they're really going to get some people involved. And if it's kids and they remember one of the first times they traveled in Texas and they saw that went to Universal Park, they're probably going to, you know, become more allegiant to Universal than maybe the people, you know, uh, at Disney. So it's a very interesting playbook. So interesting you say that, because if you drill down into Disney history, there was a time where Disney was very seriously considering regional theme parks. And it, the best known one, of course, was the one that was actually announced, Disney's America, which was right. going to be built in Virginia. Uh, but a somewhat lesser known project, but equally real, was, uh, what was it, uh, Disney's Texposition? Oh, uh, they were going to build a, a, a regional park in Texas. And but in the end, it, you know, they did the development. They walked right up to the idea and just couldn't turn the key. Uh, and in fact, you know, what's especially ironic, I'm sitting here today recording our episode, uh, looking out my picture window at all the snow that's coming down. And, uh, you know, that, that if you Google Disney White Mountain resort you will see that once upon a time disney was going to build a, a ski uh a ski chalet here up here in new england oh my up, up in the white mountains that that 
Uh, in fact, what's so funny is that evidently they they had a a statue of Goofy out in front of the resort, and depending on what time of year you visited the resort, it was either Goofy on a snowboard or Goofy hiking. You know, they would just sort of swap out. Oh, you're here for our summer program. Sure, you know, change the Goofy thing out front. But um, I, I guess that's what's fascinating about this is universe where Disney hasn't dared. Uh, you know, the, the Disney has walked up to the edge and then out of an abundance of caution, you know, all right, we're not going to do that. Universal is, is boldly stepping forward, whether it's doing this thing in Vegas or if it's doing this, you know, this kid's park in, 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 you know, uh, in Texas, you know, it's, it's, it's such an interesting time to be, you know, to be digging, you know, to be covering Universal that, that. Uh, and, and more to the point, that turning around and, and looking at the mouse and going, okay, so what are you going to do in response to this? Right. So. And I'll, I'll leave you with this before we head to our commercial break. Harry Potter came around and we got Pandora and Star Wars. Let's just say if we all go to the park in Texas and we all go to the park in Las Vegas and we all support, maybe, maybe somebody will get a little, you know, feisty and say, hey, we need to respond and maybe we'll get a park and, you know. In D.C., maybe Disney's America could happen. Unlikely, but... <laughs> no, you never know. You never know. All right. Well, anyway, and, and, and as Eric intuned here, it is time now for us to go to commercial here. But when we get back, folks, uh, we have uh, the nice folks at Universal have agreed to sit down with us and talk about the brand new, well, brand new from August of last year, the... Uh, Villains Con Minions Blast, and we'll learn a bit about that attraction. But first, this. And we're back. Okay, what follows is a Zoom interview that I did uh, just this past week with Carson Luter. He's a member of the Universal Creative Team that played a key role in the creation of a brand new, well, relatively brand new attraction at Universal Studios Florida. So let's give it a listen to that now. We're here today talking with Carson Luter, uh, Associate Project Manager at Universal Creative, about VillainCon Minion Blast, which opened at Universal Studios Florida back in on August 11, 2023. So that, that was roughly six months ago. And Mr. Luter is, is something of a local, a two-time graduate of the University of Central Florida, where he came away with an undergraduate degree and a graduate degree in themed entertainment management and design. And... Carson is also the chair of the Themed Entertainment Association Next Gen program, which seeks to help students and new industry entrants uh, begin to establish their careers in themed entertainment, which is kind of appropriate given that the topic of today's interview, uh, Villain Con, Million Blast, makes use of some, some Next Gen tech. So uh, thank you, Carson, for agreeing to come on to the show today. And let's just jump into it then. Okay. Universal Studios, Florida's first Despicable Me attraction, Minion Mayhem, opened back in June of 2012. And, you know, we saw later on, you know, uh, that, you know, the, the Minion characters uh, came a little bit more into the park. I mean, the, the I want to say that same summer we saw the Universal Superstar Parade and grew and the girls, you know, became walkarounds in the park. But have to ask, after a decade, uh, after more than a decade, how, why did park management uh, suddenly decide to sort of expand this IP's footprint at the park? So, you know, and that's a good point. Since 2012, Minions and mm -hmm. the me and, and now growing into the, the larger Illumination family. Uh, mm -hmm. It's one of our, our marquee intellectual properties that we have mm -hmm. as a company, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. case in point, you know, 2012, this attraction opened, uh, mm -hmm. the original Minions yep. attraction, Minion Mayhem. Mm -hmm. The Minion train has not slowed down. You know, since then, we've had two just box office hit Minion mm -hmm. films. There's been two more Despicable Me's and a fourth one on the way. You know, this attraction uh, gave us specifically the opportunity to tell a story mm -hmm. uh, centered more around uh, the movie that had most recently come out, which mm -hmm. was Minions 2, and specifically mm -hmm. the story of the Vicious Six. 
Got it. Okay, now, but Minion's Land, the the the, the what this part of the the Parksville production uh, corridor. Um, this is a, a really busy piece of real estate within Universal Studios Florida. I mean, uh, you know, it's 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 just steps away from the park's entrance. Uh, not to mention, uh, you know, in fact, every year when I come down for a Halloween Horror Night, I love that sort of. You know, that, that highlight reel that you guys set up at the front of the park that teases all of the mazes. But that's typically right there in the throat of the park. And um, were there any concerns, you know, given what you were about to do with this part of the park, sort of taking, you know, uh, despicable minion mayhem across the street there and suddenly creating a land that, that would march back all the way to where the old Universal uh, Monsters Cafe was. You know, what were, what were the conversations like about that? So, I, I mean, for Horror Nights, it helps that uh, our attraction is open mm-hmm. during Horror Nights and neither mm-hmm. is just Minion Mayhem. So that certainly helps. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine trying to operate. You know, there's, mm-hmm. I think, three or four maze entrances, one right up next to Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem, yeah, and then yeah. more in the... The, uh, mm-hmm. the Universal Amphitheater Courtyard too, right? So that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We have Mardi Gras coming up. And, you mm-hmm. know, if anything, you give people a nice uh, shaded spot to, to watch the parade go by on the street. Because that, uh, that kind of overhang area used to be Shrek Q, and now it's kind of open and people can stand there and watch the parade. So that's Got a it. good benefit. <laughs> well, I, I'm so glad you brought up uh, the, the, the Universal Orlando's Mardi Gras celebration, which, by the way, gets underway this year on February 3rd. Um, I, I, I've actually been, uh, in the park after hours. In fact, it was, it was so interesting. Um, you know, that it was during Halloween horror nights, but that was the night where evidently they were training, uh, universal's float drivers or, uh, the, to, to get the Christmas floats to the park. And it was just sort of bizarre to see the, the Halloween decorations up and the Christmas floats rolling through the park. But, um, I have to ask, given that, I mean, for example, you've got that wonderful bit of placemaking at the front of the park there, the the new minion sign with, with all of the minions and, uh, you know, uh, climbing all over it. And does that intrude at all into the the parade float of path at all? Or And, and I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is, did you guys, as you were designing Minion Land, have conversations with, with your entertainment team about what their needs were versus uh, you know, what you guys were planning on doing in the land. Oh yeah. And you know, anything we do that we know is going to have inputs back on our park operators mm-hmm. specifically in, for this, you're referencing entertainment. You know, we, we work mm-hmm. that with them super early on okay. and then continue all throughout the entire length of the project. And, you know, okay. we, we, we did want to add this, this great new minion land mm-hmm. marquee, right? Um, oh, and, no, no, it, it, It's lovely. I mean, you guys really did a great job, though. Again, just quick follow up question here, because I've seen the bead tree on the way to, Uh you know, the parking garage. And I look, you know, who's going to be responsible each night to climb up on the minion land sign and clear off the beads? Because, you know, people are going to throw beads on that thing. Yeah, maybe I'll, uh, I'll I'll volunteer to do a couple nights up there this year. There we go. There I'm we sure go. Okay. <laughs> All right. So now to get back to the Villain Con, uh, you know, attraction itself. I mean, face it, you guys built this while, you know, the rest of Universal, uh, you know, Studios Florida was open. And, uh, you know, and... You know, a lot of tech had to go into this thing, you know, and then what was it like to to, to have to build, you know, again, an attraction inside of a pre-existing building that, you know, again, previously had the, the Shrek 4D thing in it. But but at the same time, uh, and I think we were talking about this uh, when we were pre-gaming today's show, in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, this is a great question, and this is kind of like a, mm-hmm. a underrated thing that a lot of people don't mm-hmm. think about. So, you know, some attraction project, like let's talk about, you know, let's say Hagrid's, right? Hagrid's mm-hmm. is convenient because it backs up to the edge of the existing guest park space. We were unique with uh, 
minion blast because mm -hmm. on all sides is park. Mm -hmm. So it was a little island in the middle of the park, a fully operating theme park, right? And mm -hmm. we're, you know, trying to get gear in and, and walking out there, walking through the park every day. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, we I remember a lot of walks out there with with project team members mm -hmm. every day, every morning, going to our early whiteboard meetings, um, you know, through the operating park. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I think kind of halfway through, I was like, man, I really hope my next project butts up to like a backstage entrance. So I don't have to just walk. <laughs> yeah. I was pushing like heavy carts of like gear out into the building and taking things out. I, the other thing that people don't understand about a situation like that is, you know, you have to, whatever you've hauled out that day, you know, and, and working within the attraction, that's pretty much all you can use, right? Because the park is operating. It's not like you can be hauling big chunks of equipment into uh your construction site right yeah and that's why you know we do a lot of our stuff overnight so pretty much Got that it. window and even mm -hmm. even overnight is not really overnight because there's a point in time where you know oh, yeah. we're letting in early park admission or mm -hmm. some other department within the park needs that mm -hmm. space to to do refurbishment work or something like that so yeah. there were a lot of nights where we had a super short window to get in there mm -hmm. get our our gear in mm -hmm. And get out right and then spend the morning working on it <laughs> well again totally impressive uh you know finished product but but that said i mean look villain con minion blast literally features a lot of moving parts and once again once you, the physical construction of, of the attraction was complete i mean how long did it take to uh, you've got a moving walkway and and you know your 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 blasters and which then have to sync up with with animation on screen I, how how long was the test and adjust on this so we i think we closed strike 40 in january of 21 no 22 i think okay. january 22 so we did a pretty short demo period. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're, we kept the shell of the existing building. Uh, mm -hmm. Not much demo to do. And then from there, we were kind of full installing um, mode. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the thing that took a lot of time, right, is our interactive gaming system and our interactive gaming technology. So there were a, a kind of core, the department that I work with and, and contributed a lot to this attraction is called Advanced Technology and Interactives, which is a subdivision of Universal Creative and mm -hmm. um, also encompasses our R&D group mm -hmm. as well. Um, okay. So there were a, a kind of the final, you know, six to eight months of us on site. Uh, we actually worked upstairs in the second floor of the building. Um, mm -hmm. We set up tables and computers and everything. Um, and there was like kind of a little like ATI, Advanced Tech and Interactives strike force that was out there every day working oh. with the blasters, okay. doing cycles, just going again and again and again, trying mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, I, I was syncing audio, we were syncing gameplay, um, blaster tracking, everything. Um, a little group of us, uh, uh, Bill, Elise, Jason, Rachel, mm -hmm. and Bly, to be specific, mm -hmm. or this little crack team that we had out there that were really um, doing cycles and making sure everything was working properly. Well, I mean, the the end project is a product is crazy impressive. Though, I, I, I just to decide because you were talking earlier about how Minion Land really also celebrates, you know, uh, you know, the films of, of Illuminations. I mean, you have uh, the meet and greets, you know, area that you know where we see characters from Sing and you know that sort of thing. I, can you talk a bit about? Uh, you, you know, the collaboration between the folks, uh, the, the animators and the artists over at Illumination. I mean, did they actually create the, the, the gaming footage for this or did you? So they were like extremely involved. Mm -hmm. I was talking to them probably every day, which is a, a unique relationship to have with an intellectual mm -hmm. property holder. They love the theme park stuff. They mm -hmm. want to be as involved as possible. Um, mm -hmm. So we, you know, pretty much the entire cycle of this project was spent with mm -hmm. five or six representatives from Illumination, right? Mm -hmm. Constantly giving input, feedback. Um, they had two writers that that wrote pretty much every joke that's in the attraction. 
because um, mm-hmm. they so much of their brand is their humor. Oh, so they yeah. were trying to instill as much uh, of their brand of humor into the attraction as possible, which obviously mm-hmm. we loved. And I think the guests have really responded to. Mm-hmm. They gave us a dedicated animation director from Illumination Side specifically to work with wow. um, all the, the the media that you see in the queue and the media that you do see in the, the gaming, mm-hmm. the interactive portion of the attraction. Mm-hmm. We had a dedicated producer. And then we had um, one of the uh, executive producers of uh, uh, Minions 2 mm-hmm. uh, involved as well. So it, it was definitely an, uh, not only important from our side, but important from their side that, um, you know, their their brand was upheld right and and i think that we we did it justice just to sort of step back for a moment what's lovely is not just villain con uh minion blast but but minion land has so many wonderful nods to the uh the illumination films in fact i i, I love that you, you guys actually over the entrance to the bank of evil you know you know mm-hmm. put the chairman up there no, I mean, as somebody who's has been a big fan of the Despicable Me franchise since the first film dropped back in, uh, what was it, July of, of 2010. I mean, it's 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 so much fun to be in that space. But uh, now, getting back to, to VillainCon Minion Blast now, that, okay, this show building was previously home to two Universal Studio uh, Florida attractions. There was the Alfred Hitchcock uh, the art of making movies, and then, of course, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Shrek 4D. And um, I, I was keeping an eye open as uh, I, I, you know, was making my first trip through uh, a Minion Blast. And are are there any acknowledgments or, or nods to the the building's previous tenants, uh, either in the uh, the animation elements or or the propping of the building? Yes, there are. And actually, I'll give you a third kind of, since I know that, uh, you know, this show is pretty inside baseball. I'll give you a third special Easter egg for Universal fans um, that I think some people have have learned about. So, Hitchcock, yes. Um, So, in Mm -hmm. the exterior queue media, there is a a, a nice piece of art that we had done um, that shows, Mm -hmm. you know, you you go to VillainCon, you go to a convention, it's so much about cosplay. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a piece of mm-hmm. art in the the Q media that shows uh, characters dressed up as uh, you know famous villains throughout history, and there's a mm-hmm. baby dressed up as uh, Mother Bates from Psycho. <laughs> oh no! Okay. So cool. um, and then all right. As okay. for Shrek, we specifically mm-hmm. took the design of a certain castle mm-hmm. and included that um, in one of the interactive scenes. So keep an eye out for that. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, and then one that I Mm -hmm. personally pushed for and (laughs) kind of made sure happened. Um, There Mm -hmm. is a infamous announcement that plays on moving walkway as you enter Mm -hmm. uh, city walk from the the parking garage. Mm -hmm. Um, Moving walkway exit is approaching. Please watch your step. Mm -hmm. If you've been to Universal, you've heard this a thousand times. We knew. since we were going to have a moving walkway, we knew that mm-hmm. we kind of wanted to get this certain individual who who did this original recording back in probably 1998 or whatever, 1999. No, really? Um, oh, no. To come back and do our mm-hmm. the moving walkway exit is approaching. Please watch your step announcement. So we got him back <laughs> and made one key change. Oh. We decided the, the villain walkway exit is approaching instead of the moving walkway. Oh. So there's a nice in-joke oh. for, for Universal. That's fun. That's fun. Okay, cool. I, I guess the, the the other irony here is that again, if you're you're a film fan, you know that Alfred Hitchcock made a point of in his movies. In fact, he was kind of the the guy who introduced the idea of the Easter egg. He would make a cameo uh, in every one of his films, and uh, you know, I, you know, so taking that in mind, and you know, given how dense this attraction is i mean that's the thing that i think that impressed me the most about this uh, attraction is all of the villains uh that appear in this thing they're on model i mean crazy on model from the illumination films 
but at the same time, there is just so much going on. I mean, the, the repeatability of this ride has to be off the scale because you, you get off the thing and you feel like, you know, I didn't see it. I didn't see it all. I got to get back in line. Uh, but that said, having been as hands-on as you were with this project and working, you know, as closely as you did with the folks at Illuminations, do, do you have a, a favorite room or a fa- favorite section of Villain Minion Blast? So, and, you know, hearkening back to what you just said about repeatability, early on, we mm-hmm. knew that we wanted that repeatability to drive this attraction. It's mm-hmm. something that, you know, Victor Lugo, who's our director of immersive experience, who kind of mm-hmm. is part of the early development of these interactive, of all these interactive type of attractions. That's something that he certainly pushed for and made sure that we were going to do. And that illumination mm-hmm. also was very excited about. So my favorite room in the attraction, probably a lot of people's favorite rooms in the attraction, is the, the big finale scene that takes place at Universal, right? With the Pharaoh's mm-hmm. Lighthouse, Remounds Adventure, Toothsome Shark, the Emporium, the Universal Globe, the Universal Arch, and uh, the Kraken Tower Volcano from Volcano Bay. Mm-hmm. And you're battling, you know, these four villains from the Despicable Me and Minions films mm-hmm. at Universal. It's kind of this, this meta moment that um, Evan and Van, who are the writers from Illumination, Mm-hmm. Uh, we're super passionate early on about like we want this moment to happen and they kind of got their wish which is great um is. so it, it, the amount of time that you're in that scene in the mm-hmm. attraction um you might not get to see all four of the villains mm-hmm. <laughs> so literally you're gonna have to go back and write again just so, so you can see you know scarlet or brat or whichever mm-hmm. villain you mm-hmm. missed right because there's so much content in that room oh, that you're yeah. not even guaranteed in the in the 45 seconds or whatever that you're in just that room to mm-hmm. see them. So you got to come back and and fight them again, right? Got it. Okay, one final question question before we close here, because face it, you know you you've got to have friends and family. I mean, you know that 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 you know you're obviously proud of the, the attraction you had a hand in, and you've got friends and family who go through it. So. But again, you know, they, they, you want to help out, you know, they, they, you, you want your friends and family to do well, you know, whether a minion bless or is there any specific tip that you, you share with with folks? You know, if you you want them to get a maybe a better score than they, they might initially get on their first path through. So it, the thing that we tell a lot of guests who are coming to the attraction is to look out for mm-hmm. these collectibles. And you'll notice them because they're kind of, they have a glowing rainbow border and those are actually worth the most points. And sometimes you have to do secret things, hidden things in the game to unlock them, to uncover them. But uh, definitely keep an eye out for those because those are worth a lot of points. The biggest thing that I'll say though, mm-hmm. if you're not using the Universal Orlando app, which has an embedded villain con game component, mm-hmm. please do that because the the amount of extra things that it unlocks in this Illumination was very, very excited and passionate about to the point that they wrote pretty much the entire there's, you know, we have hundreds of jokes in the attraction and there's 300 more in just the app alone from the Illumination writing team, um, you know, hey. names of things, names of achievements and, and missions and everything. They, they came up with all of that. Um, wow. But it, it, it changes the way that you play the game because you can get upgrades to your blaster to all components of your blaster, your launchers, um, your ultimates, and your seasonals, right? Um, and it, 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 it takes you from an average player to a player that's going to be consistently on that leader, that nice leaderboard that we have in the exit retail every day, right? It's going to get you into the million plus point club, which is kind of the uh, what we're looking at as a, as, a, as a pretty good score if you're hitting over a million. Okay, so now I see my mistake because again, I just yeah. walked in the door, picked up a blaster, you know, and 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 again, I, I'm not exactly the the king of hand eye coordination. But but now I know. Okay, so you know, next time I'm in the park, I will fire up the app and, and make sure I, I, I get set up. But but again, you know, so looking forward to going back to the park and and once again getting a chance to do to do battle with Bell Bottom and John Claude. So, uh, Carson, thank you so much for for uh, you know taking the time to talk with us today and and 
more to the point, please pass along our congratulations to the entire VillainCon Minion Blast team for a job really, really well done. I mean, face it, that you know, the, the, there was a popular show there before with 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 Shrek 4D, but you guys have have topped that. And and more to the point, we have this lovely new land right at the front of the park. Yeah. Much appreciated. We were a a super super small team on a on a mm-hmm. nice tight timeline to get this thing open, um, and we're all very very proud of of the outcome and the attraction and, and the reaction that that guests are taking away from experiencing it. So, what do you think, Eric? Does a villain con minion blast sound like something you and the family would like to check out during your initial visit to the Universal Orlando Resort? Uh, Jim, I think that uh, truthfully, that's right up our alley. Uh, we've been very much fans of the Buzz Lightyear on both coasts, for that matter. We just tried out the uh, the Spider, the Web Slingers, and like you said, those are just some of the most repeatable rides. You, literally, we have got off of Buzz, turned right back around, and got back on. So I could see that happening here, and it's very innovative technology, like the whole walkway. Um, so I could see that being, you know, one that not only the six, the 17 year old and the 13 year old all pretty much love. Well, again, but the, the, the key difference between Buzz and, and the, the, the Spider-Man attraction at DCA, again, you're standing up with your, your blaster. And it, I got to tell you, it, it is a different experience. Oh, uh, by the way, folks, we're kind of burying the lead here, uh, you know, because uh, to be honest, that's one of the main goals of the Epic Universal podcast. We're using this show to help get the Hersey's ready for their first ever visit to the Universal Orlando Resort. And which brings us to where you folks come in. Uh, We're, in essence, uh, looking to crowdsource some of Eric's questions uh, here, like like this one. All right, here's here's what I need your guys' help with. Literally, we're going to go to Universal, but we need to know how much time. I really need to know how much time we should actually spend at Universal Orlando to kind of get the most out of the resort. Okay, now please note that Mr. Hersey said resort. How much time will his family need to make the most of their time? Uh, again, again, we're not talking about the parks. We're talking about the resort. Uh, though uh, that in itself is a great question as well. Uh, one we should probably save for another show. Uh, how much time do you think the Hersey's are going to need to to do Universal Studios Florida, Island Adventure, and Volcano Bay? Right, right, right. But uh, right now we're just kind of looking to see. I need your guys' help, some thoughts when it comes to you know how much time the family and I should be spending at Universal Orlando Resort, uh, just really to make sure we have a right memorable vacation because you only have one chance to do it. You know, have the first impression to do it right. There we go. There we go. And and you just mentioned your your kid's age, but just a, a quick recap because we blew by it quick. We got a seventeen year old son a 13-year-old daughter, a 6-year-old son. We also typically take the grandma, and we won't give her age, and my wife and I. So we got ourselves a nice, I like to say it's like the touring plans, like <laughs> the levels. When you go through the survey and there, you're like, how many have on this, this, this? And we kind of hit the whole gambit there. You do, you do. Well, okay. So that's a good start. And speaking of starting... The Epic Universal podcast is only just getting started, folks. Uh, thanks again to the very nice people over at Universal for allowing Carson Luter to come on our inaugural episode. And we're hoping to do a number of interviews like that in the future. So if you have questions uh, about the Universal Land Resort or Universal Studios Hollywood, we plan on taking uh, a part to the Universal Parks and experience uh, on upcoming shows as well. That's true. Uh, and, and by the way, if you like Disney Dish, the podcast I do with Lentesto, well, well, that's kind of our long-term goal for the Epic Universal podcast. We're looking to, uh, for this show to, to be a balance, well, uh, between the, the latest news about what's going on in Orlando and Hollywood. Uh, not to mention, Jim, Las Vegas, Texas, wherever else yeah. they decide, maybe UK. <laughs> yeah, 
very true. Uh, plus, I, I, again, who knows? Maybe a, a story or two about the universal parks in Japan and, and Singapore and Beijing. In fact, just today, there was all this amazing coverage uh, coming out of uh, you know Universal Japan that they had their last day of operation of the the Spider Man to the the Amazing Spider Man attraction uh, at that park, and uh, you know did a lovely job of sort of paying tribute to the the crew. Uh, tell you what, we'll try to talk that, about that on the next show. But but anyway, folks, um, you know what's what what Eric and I hope is going to make this show different from all the other Universal podcasts out there is that you get to be part of the conversation here. Largely because we're looking for your help when it comes to helping the Hersheys plan their very first trip to the Universal Orlando Resort. Right, right. And not only that, if you guys reach out to me, uh, we'll be sharing some of those insights on the next installment. So when you write to us, we'll be talking about it. We'll be using a lot of your tips, tricks, and information to make this show kind of carry on. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that, in theory, will be happening in just two weeks' time. I, I mean, that's the plan, anyway. Uh, so thanks for listening. And oh, oh, speaking of listening, I want to remind you, we have a bunch of other podcasts here at Jim Hill Media we'd love for you to check out. Uh, they include the aforementioned Disney Dish with Len Testa. Uh, there's also Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. That's our animation news podcast. Plus, Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan, uh, which shines a spotlight on all things Star Wars. Uh, and we're also looking at reviving Marvelous Disney, our, our Marvel news podcast, uh, though that will likely happen further on down the line. Right. And don't forget Disney Unpacked. Oh, how could I forget our first ever video series? Uh, the one that we're doing over on Patreon with uh, Mr. Testa and veteran Imagineer Jim Shul. This month's episode has been about Mickey's Birthday Land, whereas next month's episode of Disney Unpacked, which debuts on Sunday, February 4th, it's kind of a sequel to that show. It deals with the development and construction of Mickey's Toontown out in California. And by the way, when I say we, I don't mean the royal we. I'm talking about myself and Mr. Hersey. Uh, after we lost Aaron Adams, our longtime editor here uh, this past Thanksgiving, Eric was kind enough to step in and start writing herd on the editorial side of Jim Hill Media and Disney Unpacked. So if you like what you're listening to right now, now, while well, you have Mr. Hersey to thank. Okay, so I think that's going to do it for the very first Epic Universal podcast. We hope you like what you heard here. All right, more to the point, uh, we, we welcome your input. Like we said it before, input and feedback. We want to hear from you. This experience will be so much better if we get some of you, the Universal fans out there that know what you're talking about, to join Jim and train me, so to speak. Now, okay, uh, before we close here, you have to do the social media thing. So uh, where can folks find you, Eric? Honestly, guys, let's make it real easy. Find me on X. Name is Eric Hersey, E-R-I-C-H-E-R-S-E-Y. Send me all of your universal information there. Help me plan our trip. And Jim, where can we find you at? Eh, the usual uh again I, I i'm i'm old i call it twitter but yes x uh likewise uh instagram as jim hill media and over on facebook as uh jim hill media news so let hit us both up let us know all if you like the show what you want to hear on the show and mr hill and i will be back in two weeks time but till then take care